So we're in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7, but let me give you a quick rundown of where Paul has been in Ephesians 3 in the beginning of Ephesians 4. Um, you know, Paul wrote this to this area of Ephesus, to the city of Ephesus, uh, to, to this church, uh, this group of churches here. This, I mean, this is a big old city. And uh, he, he has been talking about unity, wanting them to be unified. Uh, and that's what he has been talking about up until this point. He's really driving home, wanting them to express the love of Christ to each other in great unity. And so he, be, he begins to transition now in this next section of Scripture um, to talk about what will happen when we're unified in purpose and in using what we have been given. So in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, this is what Paul writes. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of, the, of Christ's gift. And so, like I said, up until now, a huge chunk of Scripture uh, that came right before this was about the church being unified. And so Paul now begins to discuss uh, the great diversity that God designed within the church. The grace that he speaks of here, this, the grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This grace is talking about the gifts that we have received from the Lord through the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts. But look in that verse, he calls these spiritual gifts an extension of God's grace. Because receiving grace is receiving something undeserved. And so the gifts that have been handed out to Christians are based entirely upon God's strategic plan to bring the most amount of people to salvation and the most amount of glory to himself. The gifts are given in, in quantity and, uh, and individual amounts uh, of each gift according to how God wants his plan to play out. And so he gives to each of us certain spiritual gifts when we receive the Holy Spirit so that his plan will play out like he wants, which is why he gifted you, Sheila, different than he gifted me. Because if we're all gifted the exact same, then we can't be the full picture of what he wants the church to be. But we're all necessary. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have gifted us like this. Uh, and so we're given these gifts to do what he would have us do with them. Now, when given a gift, do you ever want the gift to be given to you according to the measure that you think is appropriate? Do you ever think God should give you a certain spiritual gift or, or gift you in a way uh, according to how you think you should have been gifted? Has that as a thought ever crossed your mind? You, if you were the one doling out spiritual gifts, you may have done it just a little bit different. I gotta admit, sometimes I've thought, Man, I really wish I was had a little more of that. You, like, you, you wish, sometimes I wish. I wish. It's I. I wish uh, I could use a little more of that sometimes. <laughs> uh, but God knew better. That doesn't mean, you know. So I've heard some people say, I wish I had the gift of mercy. But that doesn't mean as a Christian they don't have the gift of mercy. It just means. They might need to work at it a little more. Um, yeah, the gift of good looks, as you said. <laughs> Obviously, not the gift of humility. But I think. Oh, right, 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 right. I mean, I think it, what's key in that verse there is when he says it's according to the measure. Of Christ's gift. 
that it's, it's a, he gives us all according to the measure he wants us to have. And the way that works is the more we work on our gift, the more it grows. Because our spiritual gifts are like a muscle. When you work it and you use it, it grows and it becomes better. Um, it's, you think of it like, I, in my mind, I always go back to basketball because that's my history. Uh, that there, in basketball, there are some guys who are just naf- naturally skilled. It comes super easy. And if they just rely on their natural skill, they can get by to a certain degree. But if another guy who's equally naturally as skilled has worked on his natural skill, he takes it to a whole nother level. And he, he outpaces that first guy. And uh, I think of, in my opinion, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. Uh, what he would say when he was coming up and practicing uh, out in his driveway, he was just going to practice for one more hour because in his mind there's somebody else somewhere else in the country who's practicing just a little bit more than he is. And so even though he had all this natural skill, he worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and became something that far exceeded anybody else. And so it's the same with spiritual gifts. Sometimes what we tend to do, though, is we not just with spiritual gifts, but with skills, is because we're skilled or because we're gifted, we, we kind of throw the working on it by the wayside and we just rely on the fact that we know we're skilled or we know we're gifted. Uh, and so we put it off to the last second and we just go out and do it because we know that we're okay in that area. But if we really work on it like a muscle, like a skill, we can do what God would have for us far beyond anything we ever thought possible. And so he says, we've each been uh, uh, gifted by grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, according to what he wanted us to have. And so he quotes from the Old Testament here in verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. This is a quote from Psalm 68 verse 18. This verse was originally about returning to Jerusalem after God brought a victory. Uh, and Paul uses that verse here to emphasize something very similar. Jesus bringing victory through his death and resurrection, and then Jesus distributing gifts just as in that Psalm 68 verse, just as a victorious king. Uh, the image was the king came and conquered Jerusalem, and then everyone who helped him in the process, he distributed gifts once he had conquered. And so Paul's using it here in verse 8 in that same way. Jesus brought victory when he died and rose. And so now he's distributing gifts through his Holy Spirit as the victorious king. So there from that psalm verse, he has quoted many spiritual foes that he describes here as a host of captives. Then the victorious one has the right to give gifts to whomever he would like, particularly those who associate themselves with him. And that was a common practice among conquerors. They would reward the faithful. So also it's, it's just as applicable here. Jesus, the conqueror through the cross, gives gifts to those, us, who have faith. Uh, Look at verses 9 and 10. Some of your Bibles may have these two verses in parentheses. It's almost like Paul was, it seems as though Paul was talking about one subject, and then he uh, has a little aside, a little thought that he needs to get out, and then he'll continue on with the rest of his conversation. Uh, And so he makes a little comment here in verses 9 and 10 about that quote from the book of Psalms. Uh, when it says he ascended, it says in verse 9, In saying he ascended, what does it mean 
but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended to the earth is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So this is Paul's commentary on that quote from Psalms, or Psalm 68:18, uh, And there's great discussion among commentators and Bible scholars about why Paul uses that phrase there, descended into the lower regions. What do y'all think he means when he says, Jesus descended into the lower regions? Do what? And touched everybody. Yes, which I agree with. <laughs> I say some people think he mean, that means he, he descended into hell, or he descended into Hades. Uh, but the way it's phrased, and, and many of the English translations now do it this way because that's the way it is in the original language, there's a comma and then the earth. It's like the lower regions is the earth, like what you were saying, to touch everybody. And I think that's exactly right. Um, it's, it's Jesus coming in human form descended from heaven to earth, um, the incarnation. Um, the, you know, nowhere in Scripture is the idea of Jesus going into hell or Hades to bring salvation to those who were there. That's not in Scripture. Um, there are some people who teach that, but that's not in Scripture. Um, what, scripture what Scripture teaches is we have all opportunity here on earth to get saved. But once we die, the opportunity is no longer there. Um, that's the end of the opportunity. Scripture does say we all have opportunity to, to believe. Uh, and so he's talking about he ascended, Jesus ascended from earth to heaven uh, after he died and rose. But before he did that, he descended from heaven to earth. Um, with this ascending and descending language, uh, used so closely in these verses by Paul, um, I believe he's talking about Jesus, it's referring to Jesus' death, by which we're saved, um, and then he rose from the dead and went to heaven. And salvation uh, that, he meant, that he's kind of referring to here is really the hinge point of this entire passage. The stuff before being about unity uh, and now spiritual gifts and using those gifts to, to further the church. You know, salvation is the victory that he talked about in that quote from Psalm, uh, from Psalms. Uh, so it seems logical that Paul's continuing with that thought here um, about ascending and descending after he, die, uh, he died and rose. Uh, and then it says there at the end of verse 10, uh, he ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Um, there's no place in all creation where his presence is not present um, his presence is everywhere look at verses 11 and 12 now we're getting to into a big chunk of a very important passage he says and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of christ so it says he gave, the, he gave, and then he lists out these things that he gave. Uh, that, that gave, that's referring back to verse 8, talking about the gifts uh, that he gave according to the grace of God. So he's writing that the gifts given to the church are people with spiritual gifts themselves. So he gave gifts, and now he's describing what those gifts are. 
Um, some of these gifts that he mentions here, some people believe some of them do not exist anymore. For instance, they believe that prophecy as a gift ended when the New Testament was completed. But the problem with that is that Scripture doesn't ever say that. Um, other people have concluded that they believe that because really they're unfamiliar with genuine prophecy or even genuine healing. Just because they see certain things on TV, it makes them think a little funny about those particular gifts. Uh, but Scripture never mentions that certain spiritual gifts stop at a certain point. Um, it lists certain spiritual gifts, like here, prophecy, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. It, lists, it always lists those gifts in among gifts that obviously still exist today, never saying that some of them stopped and some of them didn't. So we, we can only conclude from Scripture that those gifts must still exist. Um, but there's something interesting, something unique he does here. <laughs> Uh, these gifts that he lists, these are uh, instructors, leaders of the church. But he starts it off with that word apostles. Now that's interesting uh, because it would seem as though in Scripture that may be the one on the list that is given some limiting characteristics. Because Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that to be an apostle, you must have seen Jesus with your own eyes and then have been sent out by him. So according to that qualification, the office of the apostle is closed because the last person to see Jesus physically on earth was Paul. And Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was the last one to physically see Jesus. And so it would seem, I mean, when Paul's writing this, obviously there's still apostles. I mean, Paul himself was one, but also many of the disciples were still alive at this point. Now the word itself, apostle, just means to be uh, one sent out with a message, which he could mean here. Absolutely he could. Uh, or it could be an office like uh, what those 12 plus Paul and Jesus' brother James hold. Um, I tend to think because it's in this list like this, uh, he's not necessarily meaning it like the 12 apostles plus Paul and James. He's more meaning it in the same way that he's using the rest of the sentence that it's somebody who's been sent out particularly from Jesus with a message. So he says apostles, and then he says prophets. Now prophets receive a word from the Lord for conviction, as Paul writes of in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24-25. Uh, they receive a message from the Lord for encouragement and strength, as in Acts chapter 15, verse 32. Or for clearly informing of the future, as in Acts eleven twenty-eight. Uh, but now he says evangelists next. Now evangelists, as they're gifted, are kind of like missionaries or, or church planters, kind of like Paul was on his missionary journeys. They use that word apostle and disciple almost interchangeably. I mean, it was like... Right. Yeah. I mean, Jesus used both words. And uh, once it transitions into Acts, they use apostles more... Uh, because the idea was sent out with the message. Jesus sent them out with the Great Commission. Go and tell the world. Yeah. I mean, if you go at the base root of it, we're all disciples of Jesus. You know, trying to grow in our faith. You know, learning from Jesus. Um, and so, yeah, I'm thinking I mean, they were. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and so that's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. There at the end of that verse. Uh, those are mentioned in Greek as though they are the same thing. 
the way it's phrased, it's as though that is one particular, I don't know, title or, or role uh, that is gifted in that two, in those, with those two words. Uh, they are shepherd and a teacher. Uh, the word shepherd is interesting. Um, some may translate that there as pastors. Um, it's the only place in Scripture that some translations translate that word as, as pastor. Uh, but the word shepherd from the original language literally means to herd uh, sheep or goats. To herd sheep or goats, to gather them, to lead them, to drive them. Sheep or goats. Shepherd can lead them to water, right? Can lead them to food, but he can't make them eat. It means that the sheep, uh, it means to shepherd them, to keep them from running off a cliff, means protecting them from attack. Um, now, all these roles here, these gifts here, uh, he says there in that next verse, uh, verse 12, they are given to equip the members of the church to minister to each other and build up each other's faith, uh, which is very, very interesting. These gifts are given to equip the saints the Christians, the people of the church, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What do y'all think about that phrase? To equip the saints to do the work of ministry. Have you ever heard ministers of a church or pastors of a church called professional Christians so they can go out and they can do it? I've been told that. <laughs> You're the professional. You're going to do it. Uh, the way Paul phrases this in, in his writing to the Ephesians here, it's very pointed. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's almost like the coach can coach the players, but he can't get out there and be the quarterback. Not to say that the pastor shouldn't do that. He should. I mean, that's, the Great Commission goes to all Christians. Um, or that the evangelist shouldn't do that, or that you know, the teachers or the prophets or whatever, but the purpose of these roles, he says there in verses 11 and 12, is to equip the people to be able to do the work that God assigned them to do, to be able to use their gifts that God gave them to be used um, so that we can all be a functioning body together. Um, that's the purpose of it. They we're supposed to be equipped, and, and if we're not being equipped Maybe we never were taught how to equip ourselves. I mean, at some point, you can be equipped, but being ref you can refuse to utilize your equipping. Um, we've all heard the stereotype of the, what, what, what is it, the 35-year-old living in the basement eating pizza and playing video games and never getting out and doing anything. Um, it's, but instead of that, the idea is you teach a man to fish so he can go out and fish. You teach somebody to, to do the work of the Lord so they can do the work of the Lord. So that then, uh, from the Great Commission, we can then go and make disciples who will then go and make more disciples, who will then go and make more disciples and grow them up in Christ so that we can equip each other to do the work, to, to minister to each other um, and be constantly building each other up. Um, that's what he says there, for the building up of the body of Christ. Um, that means equipping each other that means ministering to each other even when we don't like each other. Even when we disagree. Even when we vote different. Even when we uh, talk different. Even when we, you know, 
act different. It still means minister to each other, irregardless of who we are. I mean, some of the people Paul was writing to didn't like him. And yet he wrote to them anyway, in love. He said, guys, we've got to work together. We've got to equip each other. We, we, we have got to minister to each other. And that's what he's trying to do in, in, in writing this letter. He's trying to minister to them as well as trying to equip them so they can minister to each other because he can't be there all the time. And he's, he's trying to work with them in this process. He's got some great people in this Ephesian church, some people who demonstrate greater love for him than many of the other people that he ministered to. Because there was a time when he was headed back to Jerusalem knowing that he was going to be arrested and eventually make his way to Rome and be under Roman imprisonment in Rome. And the Ephesians, their elders, their, their leaders, their, their ministers, um, some of these guys who were gifted like this, met him and, and spent time with him and invested in him. They actually begged him not to go because they didn't want to see him go to prison. And they wept with him when he left because they knew what he was going to. And so they loved him in a great way. And Paul's writing to them to try to encourage them, continue, continue ministering to each other. I know it's hard some days. I know it's difficult sometimes, but that doesn't mean we stop. We keep striving. We keep working on it. We keep ministering to each other. Uh, until this point, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What do y'all think that means? So we're supposed to minister to each other all the way to the point of where we each have reached the full spiritual maturity of Jesus. That's a pretty high standard. <laughs> I don't know anybody who's made it yet. Uh, the church members, then, I mean, what he's saying, which are to minister to each other and build up each other's faith until everyone, all of us, are unified in purpose and in the amount of knowledge of Jesus. And he takes it further there into the extreme with those next few words, uh, compound upon each other, all meaning maturity, mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal is of ministering to each other, building up each other's faith to the full, perfect spiritual maturity that Jesus has. So no one is ever a lost cause. As long as they're still here on earth, no one is a lost cause. We've got to keep ministering to each other, helping each other grow, because also in helping each other, grow, helping somebody else grow in Christ helps me grow in Christ, helps me mature, helps me get closer to the full uh, uh, stature of the maturity of Christ. And so we have to help each other attain the level of spiritual maturity of Jesus. Does that seem easy? Or does that seem daunting? Like, oh my goodness. So think about it in terms of how you interact with other Christians. How, is, how can we, how can you make better use of time in order to minister to each other and build up each other's faith. How would that change, I mean, that perspective, how would that change your interactions with other Christians? I know it would change mine a lot of the time. It takes all of us. Doing what we, as he's already been talking about, doing what we've been gifted to do. Um, that's why he gave so many of us. Till we all 
attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. For this purpose, verse 14, 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So he's been talking about growing into maturity. And now he states that the purpose behind the need to mature like Christ. We're to mature like Christ so that we no longer continue in the immaturity of children with specific regard to uh, spiritual things. I mean, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, when he became an adult, he put aside childish things. And spiritually speaking, the maturity of Christ brings with it a steadiness that cannot be shaken or knocked off course by any sort of attack. So that's that language there. That we may no longer be children, immaturity, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So he's saying that the immature run the risk of having their faith ebb and flow with whatever outside influence rises at any given moment. So just as a rudderless boat is driven by whatever wind rises from whichever direction, an immature believer will have their life driven in whatever direction aligns with a new set of cunning and a new set of schemes. So I'll ask you all a question. Have you ever, in immaturity, been driven away from God's best purpose by some new popular teaching or clever turn of phrase or even possibly an intentional scheme? Have you ever heard something that led you down a path and then you realize later on, you know, maybe that wasn't actually true? <laughs> yeah, right. Right? Like, that sounds like a great idea. And then we realize later on when we get into more maturity, like, whoa, I was way off. <laughs> like, have you ever seen someone else in immaturity driven away from God's best by some popular teaching, clever turn of phrase, or even an intentional scheme? And you thought, man, they are going down a bad road. <laughs> they need to turn off that YouTube video right now. They need to block that person's phone number right now because I can see where they're going. It's not going to be good. And that sometimes it takes that. We don't, because it's so subtle sometimes and it's so gradual that it builds up within us and we don't sense it until it's way down the line. And then we need that revelation from God to say, uh, uh, you're not where you should be. You're not where you ought to be. And we don't realize it until we're way down there. And so that's why Paul writes that verse. He doesn't want us to be uh, no longer, he doesn't want us to be children anymore. He doesn't want us to be tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine that blows through, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I tell you, there's some, some of my favorite YouTube preachers I had to turn off for a while because they stopped preaching the Bible and just stopped and started preaching the next chapter of the new book. <laughs> and it was disappointing, but 
I had to turn it off to, so, so for my own sake, for my own soul, because I recognized it. I mean, after a, a while, too embarrassed to tell you how long <laughs> of listening to that mess, but um, when we venture away, I was reading it actually today in a book. Uh, I was reading Tony Evans' book. was talking about preaching. And uh, he was quoting a scripture that said, there will come a day when people will go and listen to preaching that is, appears to be from scripture, but is just tickling your ears. Um, that's exactly what that is. Rather, we should do this, verses 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Now, reading that passage, he mentions love in verse 15 and love in verse 16. He mentions grow in verse 15 and grow in verse 16. So growth and love are the key components of these two verses. That's why he repeats it there. Uh, Have you ever heard somebody use the phrase, speak the truth in love? We got to speak the truth in love. I've heard it used almost weaponized, like somebody using it to justify some fact that they perceive about somebody else. I'm just speaking truth. I'm doing it in love because I'm not like, you know, cussing at them. But I'm just speaking the truth. You ever heard that? Somebody use it that way? And so he said, believers are supposed to speak the truth in love. Um, But really sometimes people... And sometimes us, if we're honest, we use that to justify speaking what we believe to be facts, but are really just harsh facts. Um, but there's an important biblical difference between truth and facts, especially when facts are interpreted through an individual's bias. The truth that Scripture speaks of is the truth of the gospel. So when Scripture says truth, it means the gospel. It means Scripture. It doesn't, mean some near, it doesn't merely mean some, some fact that also happens to be true. A fact that is true is not the same as the truth. And so he says, speak the, the truth in love. He's talking about, like Lynette said, Scripture. He's talking about the gospel, not just some fact or, or, or our perceived fact that we're, we're seeing in somebody else or seeing in a situation. He's talking about the gospel. You see, for Paul, you know, having... Now, we've been doing these studies. We've looked at Galatians and now Ephesians. For Paul, the gospel is all that mattered. Somebody's fact that they see in something or a situation, that doesn't matter. What matters is the gospel. That's the reason he's going to prison. That's the reason he's getting stoned to death. That's the reason he's going to end up getting his head cut off. It's the gospel. So when he says speak the truth in love, he means speak the gospel in love. Speak the, the scripture in love. Don't worry about that other stuff. That, that doesn't matter. I mean, that's going to go by the wayside. I mean, most of that stuff that gets us riled up and gets us frustrated and gets us angry in 10 years, we don't even remember what it is. It's gone. Much less than 1,000 years. The gospel is the only thing that's going to matter. And so this, the truth that Scripture speaks of is the gospel. And so, so lovingly speaking the truth of the gospel 
in that context, speak the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is, uh, who is the head into Christ. So lovingly speaking the truth of the gospel, it enables us to spiritually grow and mature, like he was just talking about in the previous verse, the full spiritual maturity of Jesus. Lovingly speaking the truth of the gospel enables us to spiritually grow and mature in every possible way. Speaking the truth in love. Now, what's interesting, interesting to note that I had noticed before, before I was studying this for tonight, Paul doesn't mention speaking the truth to each other so as to grow up the one to whom we are speaking. Naturally, if we're speaking the truth, speaking the gospel, it will, but he doesn't say it that way. He doesn't say, speak the truth in love, and then you will grow that person up. He says, speaking the truth in, in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So it would seem that he's emphasizing the speaking of the truth, meaning that the act of speaking the truth of the gospel helps to grow the one who is speaking. Have you ever taught somebody or taught a class, a Sunday school class or something about Scripture, and you end up learning far more than anybody else in the room? It happens every single time. I guarantee you, preparing sermons, I learn way more than I have time to spit out up there in 30, 40, 50 minutes, however long it is. We learn way more. That's what he's saying. You speak the truth in love, and we grow up in every way. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So while speaking the truth can encourage the hearer, speaking the truth in love encourages our own spiritual development, spiritual growth. You know, if you've ever been out sharing the gospel with somebody, the spiritual uh, uh, confidence you walk with after you have finished is something on a whole nother level. There's nothing I can compare it to in this life. Some people call it a spiritual high, but it's beyond that. I mean, it is, it is, it's like walking on a new plane of existence. Um, I've told the story before about that guy in Australia. He had a shop down by the docks and he would pass out tracts and share the gospel with 10 people every day. That was his commitment to the Lord. He would do it to 10 people every single day. Um, and on days when he was sick or days when he, you know, on the weekend, he would close down on Sundays. He would come back on Monday and he would do 20 because he wanted to get 70 people for the week. He did it for 40 years, 40 years. Not one person accepted Christ, but he still went out there and did it every single day. Uh, well, there came a time that somebody showed up at the shop looking for the man. Is this the shop where the man who comes out and tells people about Jesus? Is, is this his shop? And they said, yeah, but he's not here. Um, you know, a few months ago, he got sick. And he's at his house. And, he's, and so the guy told the manager of the shop his story. And so the guy, uh, the manager gave the guy the home address. And so he went to the guy's house, knocked on the door, and went in and sat down with the man. And he says, I, I know you don't remember me, but a number of years ago, you shared the gospel with me as I was walking past your shop. And I went back to the hotel room and I threw the little track in the trash. Didn't think about it until the next day. And I pulled that thing out and began to read through it and prayed to receive Christ there in my hotel room. 
He said, and, but I came back down here the next day to find you, but it was Sunday and your shop was closed and I had to fly out. And he said, what ended up, and so he's telling the man, what ended up happening was, is I went on to be a preacher, uh, but not at a church. I would go and preach at conferences and big stadium revivals. He said, and at these big stadium revivals at these conferences, it never failed every single one. When I would give my testimony, somebody from the crowd would come up to me afterwards and say, was that a little man on the street by the docks in Australia? Because that's how I got saved. And he started telling him story after story. It was a, a, an event in South America. There was an event in Europe. There was an event in Russia. And he's telling him all these stories. And uh, the little man there in, in the house, he starts weeping and telling him well, about how he did it for 40 years and no one ever came to know Christ there. And it, he, he had no idea what would happen. He just wanted to be obedient. Uh, and so the man uh, uh, prayed with him and thanked him and then left. Well, that little man in Australia died a week later. Um, I'd heard that story before, but then I saw an article not too long ago uh, that verified the truth of the story and gave the man's name, which I can't remember right now. Um, But all that to, to say, sharing the gospel, speaking the truth in love, can not only change the one that we're speaking to, change their eternity, it can change us. And we'll never know the lasting impact that we'll have. You know, Paul speaks of uh, uh, another preacher, Apollos, in, in this way. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but the Lord gave the increase, made it grow. You may be the one who plants the seed, and you don't see the growth. You may be the one who waters the seed, but you don't see the final product. Somebody else may see it down the road. Uh, We just have to be faithful with what we're given. The person you share the gospel with may be really angry and mad and say something not nice to you, but you don't know how that's going to be, how that seed is going to germinate and grow later on. It's going to come to fruition later on. There was a time I built this desk, which we just pulled out of our shed because we found termite holes in it. Uh, But I built it a long time ago to... When we had this house in Texas and had to, we had this one little alcove that at the time I was doing video work on the side and it had to fit in this little, the little desk I was going to make had to fit here and it was a weird shape. But, uh, you know, when you're building something like that, you use a certain kind of saw to cut it, you use a certain kind of sandpaper and then another certain kind of sandpaper and then another certain kind of sandpaper. Then you use the screws and you use the, uh, the drill and you... Uh, then you, you stain the wood and you seal the wood. And as I learned, you also had to build supports because the wigs get wobbly. <laughs> I built those later on. Um, but you may just be the, one, the, the first rough grit of sandpaper and you never see the final product. Or you may be the, the one who, who's screwing in the legs, but you still don't see the final product. You don't know where you are in the process, but that doesn't matter. All we got to be is obedient with what we've been given the gifts that we've got, so that we can minister to each other. And then God will take care of all the rest. What is it? I quote Charles Stanley all the time. Obey the Lord and leave all the consequences to Him. Let Him take care of all of it. Just do with what He's been given, what He's given to us here and now. And so Paul speaks this. Speak the truth in love and grow up in every way. Then he says, verse 16 there, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's that phrase again. So Paul, he's informing his readers here, and us as well, because we're his readers, that the body of Christ, the believers, the church, is joined and unified through the equipping of Christ. So that's where he started this entire section. Here, back up in verse 7. Jesus equipped every believer through his Holy Spirit in order to work as each one was gifted and designed to work. You've been gifted and designed to work in a very specific and unique way. And when each part is then, each one of us, is working as we have been gifted and designed, then the whole body grows better and is able to build itself up. We're able to to grow together, grow as a unified body. As he says, they're joined and held together. And then he says in verse 16, when each part is working properly, that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The building up, it's an encouraging and a strengthening process. They can only happen through the love of Christ. That's, That's what he mentions there again. It builds itself up in Love, that's really Paul's theme throughout this entire section, is love has to be uh, uh, the thing that undergirds uh, everything we do. So the believers cannot work as they were designed to work, as we were designed to work, accomplishing all that God desires without the selfless love of Christ, demonstrated through our words, our actions, and our thoughts. We must lovingly encourage one another by working out our gifts while continually speaking the truth in love. It's the truth of the gospel in love. So we have to encourage one another. We have to work out our gifts while speaking the truth of the gospel in love. And our gifts may change from season to season of our lives. How we were gifted, how we're gifted now may be different from 10 years ago, may be different than 10 years from now, 50 years from now. Uh, uh, some gifts may remain, some may transition as the season changes. We used to have a member of our church, she's in heaven now, uh, who was up at the nursing home. And I remember going and visiting that nursing home. And uh, at the time, we had, I think, five members in there. Um, and four of them were very discouraged. Um, they, you know, they wanted to be visited more. They... One of them wanted better TV channels, but um, they were discouraged with just how they found themselves in that season of life. But that fifth one, and she was probably the most frail of all of them. She was the most joyous and excited because in her perspective, from her perspective, she had been gifted by God to be in that nursing home for the sake of those nurses, for the sake of those staffers and that doctor. So that she, in the nursing home, who couldn't even get out of bed by herself, could encourage them in the truth of the gospel. I came in there, uh, you know, I would, what I would do is I'd go in and I, I would talk to everybody and I'd read some scripture and I'd pray over all of them. Well, she didn't let me read over scripture. No, I take that back. She said, will you read, and it was a psalm, Psalm 90-something. I, I don't know why, that just, that just hit me. Uh, but then she didn't let me pray then. She proceeded to preach that psalm to me uh, because I was somebody who came into a room who she took it on as her job to encourage in Christ. Um, it's all about your perspective. 
and where God has you in this season to use your gifts where you are now to the best of your ability and grow them just like their muscles. Like I said, grow them and strengthen them uh, to accomplish more for his purpose than we could otherwise. I was listening to a podcast last week and they had on uh, Rick Warren who wrote Purpose Driven Life, uh, the second highest selling book of all time, of history, only behind the Bible. <laughs> um, he was a pastor of Saddleback Church in California for 42 years. And he talked about, on the podcast, he would drive to the church every Sunday to preach. And he would pray as he's driving up, offering God his resignation every Sunday. And he would say, this is your church, not mine. Here's my resignation. Do with it what you will. If, if you need somebody else to do this, then do it. Just give me something harder to do. And he said, after 42 years, I felt like God said, okay, I'm going to give you something harder to do. He said his season was changing. Some of his gifts had changed. And so God was transitioning him to do something different then. And so it's, it's wherever God has placed us, wherever God has planted us, we need to grow where he's planted us and use what he's given us in that season to grow and better those around us. Always. Not try to dig ourselves out and replant us somewhere else. He'll replant us if he wants us replanted. Uh, but allow him to bring the growth as we uh, do everything we can to grow ourselves and grow those around us where we're at. So in love, speak the truth. In love, build each other up. Any questions or comments about that section of Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 16? All right. Well, next week, we will continue on with the next section of Ephesians. Um, I'll tell you all of Paul's letters, but it almost seems like Ephesians, each little section of Scripture has you know, some major, uh, famously famous piece of Scripture in it, like this one, equip the saints to do the work of ministry building up to Ephesians chapter 6, and that is the armor of God. <laughs> and, um, so we're getting close to that, uh, but he's building to that from this point forward. But uh, let me pray for us, and then we can be dismissed. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for Ephesians. I thank you for Paul and his transparency and, and his speaking the truth in love even when his immediate circumstances were not always the best and would make any one of us balk. But he stood firm in the faith. God, I pray you would give us the strength to do the same. That you would help little grudges that we have to fade. Little seeds of bitterness to die on the vine. And that we would lean into you and your love and your unity and your purpose to grow one another up in love, to build one another up in love, to minister to one another, to bring each other to the full spiritual maturity of Christ. For the sake of the church, for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the betterment of each other. God, help us to have an eternal perspective in how we interact, in how we speak, in how we think about other people. 
saved and lost. And to be known, as you said in John chapter 17, be known by how we love each other. God, I thank you for Jesus and his love for us demonstrated on the cross and, and raising from the dead. And the patience and, and stick to that you have with us today. Help us to imitate your faithfulness back to you and with each other. In your name I pray, amen.